So our scripture today is familiar to at least some of you folks. It's the story of the Ethiopian eunuch from the books of Acts, which is the, the very beginning of the Jesus story. So right after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, this is the church, the earliest church, trying to figure out how do we figure out what to do in the aftermath of that. And this is a really interesting story. A really interesting story. But the thing is, a lot of people miss the crucial details that make that are vital to understanding what the author is really trying to get across. So our question today is going to be a straightforward one. What difference does it make that this person who's featured in the story, the main character, is an Ethiopian eunuch? Why does it matter to the story that it's this person instead of a Jimbo down the street, right? Why is it that we find this to be important to the story? Because once we get a handle on that, we'll get a much better sense of what's going on in the story and what it's trying to convey to us. So let's refresh our memories of the passage we just heard, right? In the aftermath of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we've got this guy named Philip. Not Philip, one of the 12, disi- uh, 12 apostles, excuse me, but a different guy, another disciple of Jesus, and he's still an important leader in the community. And so God comes to Phil and says to him, go to this specific place on the road. You'll apparently just figure out why when you get there. And Philip has no problem just going and not knowing what's going on. So he goes, and at that very spot, he encounters this chariot with writing in it this Ethiopian eunuch who's reading part of the Jewish scriptures, specifically Isaiah. And so our pal Phil, as you know, as you just normally do any, any day, just starts sprinting after the chariot and apparently yelling to the guy, hey, do you know what you're reading? And the uh, other guy, okay, we need a name for him. Uh, how about Saris? Saris is the Hebrew word for eunuch. So Saris apparently isn't freaked out at all by Phil's weird behavior. And so he's like, no, I don't understand the passage. Do you? And Phil, of course, is just running along and like, well, if you stop the chariot, I might be able to actually see what passage you're reading and let you know if I do understand it or not. So apparently chariot jacking wasn't a thing back then. Uh, so they just stopped and, as you do, just took him on board and they went away. Sure, why not? Um, and so Philip takes this passage from Isaiah and he, starting with that, uses it to talk about Jesus and the, the events that had just happened. And this is all apparently very compelling to Saris because he says to the driver, hey, hold on a second. You say that, that baptism is the, is the real deal, right? there's this body of water over here. Can we do it now? And so Philip and Sarius get out of the chariot and go over to the water, and Philip dunks him, and then, poof, Philip just vanishes, just teleports a dozen miles down the road. And um, both of them just go on their merry way, and neither of them caring that Philip just vanished and teleported miles away and reappeared. Uh, But yeah, they just go on their way like nothing happened. This is a fascinating story, is it not? And it elicits this interesting question, what difference does it make that this fellow who we're talking about, Saris, is an Ethiopian eunuch? Why is that important? So right now, let's get our mental picture calibrated when we're imagining this story. So um, 
the correct characters in our mindset, in our mind's eye, right? So Sarius is from Ethiopia. He does not look like Philip. So Philip is probably Middle Eastern, probably a dash of Greek mixed in, right? So nice olive skin, nice, nice those kind of features. Saris is from Ethiopia. So he's going to be that really just rich, dark, the, the beautiful dark brown um, the, that's from uh, Ethiopians because he's from Ethiopia. Speaking of which, <clears throat> has anybody looked at a map recently? Where is Ethiopia? And where is Israel? Are they next to one another? The answer is no. You can go look up your map when you get home. No, they are not, as a matter of fact. And so let's process for a minute what exactly the implications that is. Right, so Sarius is part of the Ethiopian royal court. Um, obviously has access to this chariot that he borrowed. And, and a pretty sweet mode of transportation. Pretty sweet ride. But even with this horse and carriage, it's not like he just made a jaunt out to the church for, you know, a Sunday morning service. Uh, so... The distance from Ethiopia to Israel is 2,500 miles. That's the same distance as if I took a horse and buggy from here to Florida. Uh, Except for it's not, because it needs to be a round trip, because he needs to be able to get back. So taking a horse and buggy from here to Florida and back. So that's like a 250-day trip. And that's not counting any time, any stops or any, uh, you know, spending any time the destination that you're traveling so long getting to. So let's round it out, let's say a year, okay? So a year or so. Does anybody else hate road trips other than me? I don't know. But um, can you imagine being on this road trip for a year straight, all day, every day in the car, trying to get where you're going? That would suck. I don't, I don't like that at all. Uh, but all for what, right? So that you can go to the Jerusalem temple to worship. But wait, hold, a se- hold on a second. I hear somebody saying in the back, um, isn't God everywhere? Why does he need to go to Jerusalem to worship? Because back in the day, the temple was the house of God. And of course, if it's the house of God, if you want to offer sacrifices to God, then obviously you need to be in God's house so that God can actually get the sacrifice, you know? Obviously. So they have to go. And so Sarius made this long trip to Jerusalem. And then here's the kicker, right? He couldn't even fully enter the temple. So A, he was probably a Gentile, so he could probably only go to the outer courtyard anyway. But even if he was a Jew, he couldn't get all the way in anyway because he's a eunuch. And so he made this huge year-long trip, presumably knowing all the while that he can't even get into the very place that he's trying to get to, his destination, and still made this year-long trip to get there. Which, by the way, I don't know... Um, I don't know if you went to your employer and said, hey, I'm going to take a year-long vacation. You're going to keep paying me, and I'm going to borrow the company Rolls-Royce to do it. I don't, know, I don't know about you guys. I don't know if my employer would go for that. But Do you get it? Because you guys are my... Yeah. Bah. All right, so uh, let's, live, let's mix in this other level of ambiguity to this whole thing, because we're not confusing enough. Saris is... A slave. 
He is a slave. He was forcibly castrated as a young, at a young age. He does not have agency over his own body or his own fate. He is not his own person, at least legally. And yet, he is really friggin' rich. He is, has one of the highest jobs in the land. And so he is in charge of the entirety of the nation's wealth, of the nation of Ethiopia. And yet, despite that, is still a slave, doesn't have even the most basic human rights, doesn't have the most basic dignity or uh, agency over his own body and his own self. So we see this ambiguity, this in-betweenness that he embodies. And then we haven't even gotten to the most important part yet. Saris is a eunuch. Um, okay, so if you are squeamish about S-E-X stuff, cover your ears for like 20 seconds. All right, you can't blame me now. Okay, uh, so a eunuch is a castrated male. Right, so in various kingdoms, young boys were taken as eunuchs um, and castrated, and then they served as servants. And for most eunuchs in the ancient world, it was what's called a partial castration, and so the testicles were cut off. All right, you can come back. Um, so this particular body part that was removed happens to be important in a man's life, uh, especially during puberty. Because this particular body part happens to produce testosterone, which is what makes, you know, you grow body hair and facial hair and grow muscle mass and your voice to drop. And so if you're a teenage boy and don't have testosterone coursing through your veins, what does that mean? You're not going to develop a lot of these biological changes. Your voice is never going to drop. It's going to stay high. Your face will be softer and more feminine looking. But you're not a woman. That's pretty obvious by looking at you. But you're also not altogether a man. You're kind of somewhere in between. You're a eunuch. And so eunuchs in the ancient world formed this third gender. This somewhere in between gender. And for the powerful at the time, this was profoundly unnerving, like on a deep level. Because, uh, right, you have these mental categories that you have to structure your world to make sense of your world. And so you've organized your world into males and females. And you're like, okay, I can get my head around this, right? My world makes sense. It's logical. I've got this mental schema to process everything, right? Everything's right with the world. But now you need to try and fit in eunuchs to this category that are not quite male, not quite female. They're undefined. They're undefinable. They don't easily fit in that binary schema, right? And so they are deeply unsettling because their very existence destabilizes your, own, your whole sense of the world and how it functions. To use a modern term, eunuchs are queer. All right, so brief refresher for folks. Uh, the word queer has major generational divides. Um, so, uh, but for younger LGBTQ folks, uh, they've largely reclaimed, or as uh, we talked about, redefined this word queer. Uh, though, so PSA, just public safe service announcement, when you're using it, do not use it as a noun. Use it as an adjective. Queers 
does not sound good still. However, queer folks or people who are queer or something like that is much more ability. We're able to use that. All right. So the whole idea of queerness is that you don't fit in the mold that society gives you. There's this particular way society expects you to be and behave and act and exist. And there's something about you that doesn't fit in that, that pushes against it, that breaks out of that mold. And so back in the day, eunuchs just took those categories of male and female and just chucked them out the window. In this sense, eunuchs were thoroughly queer. So anyone remember our original question? Why is it this character who is featured in our story? Saris. I think that because this story features our friend Saris in particular, it has so much more depth. So much more depth. Because it's not just the story like, in, like we think of the book of Acts of the gospel spreading, right? It's not just, oh, there's more people learning about Jesus. It's so much more than that. The story is telling us something about God, about who God chooses to work with in bringing forth God's purposes in the world. Throughout the Bible, it insists, uh, the Bible throughout its pages, insists that God works through the most unlikely figures, through youngest sons and pagan kings and prostitutes and people with speech impediments and and poor manual laborers and and scaredy cats and wimps and weirdos, right? It's precisely through these people that God chooses to work through. And who, I ask you, is more of a consummate outsider than a black ethnically different foreigner, enslaved yet rich, castrated and physically mutated, effeminate looking and sounding, neither male nor female, eunuch who traveled thousands of miles to get there. Who could possibly be a more of an outsider than that? And yet, this is precisely who God tells Philip to go to. This is precisely the person who can most fully fulfill Jesus' commandment to go and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this, of course, means that we need to recalibrate if we're looking for God in the world and how God is at work in the world, we need to recalibrate where exactly we're looking. Because maybe it won't be working through the preachers or through the people who have it all together or the people who grew up in church or the people who ever go to church or through the people who volunteer in our communities. Maybe even though that's where we keep looking, it's not necessarily where God's the hardest at work. Maybe God will work through somebody more like Saris whose identity pushes against what we expect God to be doing. Maybe just like Saris, God will be working in the world through black folks or through foreigners who are in our land or through transgender folks or through sex slaves or through people who are enslaved in various other forms or through those who've been physically mutilated or damaged or disfigured or through those who are gender queer or gender non-conforming. 
in short, maybe God is at work in people who look a little bit more like saris than people who look like me. Maybe that's where we need to be turning our focus if we're trying to find where God's at work in the world. Because maybe, just maybe, we will see God at work there. So may you be able to see where God is at work in the world because you are keeping your eyes fixed on the very place that we don't expect and yet we know that God is deep at work. May it be so.